Welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. Hi guys, happy Monday. Before we get into this week's episode, there are a few quick things I wanna share. So first, I apologize in advance for the few phone beeps and buzzes and text messages that came through during this episode. Also, next week's guest is Alyssa Vitti, a functional nutritionist and a women's hormone expert, also the founder of Flow Living and the best-selling author of women code and the creator of my flow the number one period tracking app so if you have any questions for her that you want me to ask her at the end of the episode please send them to info at the and we will try and answer as many as possible and i want to remind you guys about the vhive membership platform if you are not already a member please check it out at www.thevhive.com backslash memberships. If you love this podcast content, there is so much more additional bonus content that you guys will receive every month and you will be supporting the VHive and we really need your support. So please check out our membership platform at www.thevhive.com. And without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Today I'm here with Alan Rose, a leading voice in preventative healthcare. As a 24-year-old Miss USA and Miss America contestant, Alan made headlines across the globe with her controversial decision to become a provider by choosing to undergo a prophylactic double mastectomy after losing her mother, grandmother, and great aunt to breast cancer. As a result of her advocacy efforts, she was awarded the 21st Annual Congress on Women's Health Advocacy Award and a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2017 Breast Cancer Summit for her continued dedication to educating women in breast cancer prevention. Allen is the first woman with a mastectomy to be featured by Sports Illustrated Swimsuit and was the creator of the social media movement Self-Exam Gram, encouraging women to perform monthly self-breast exams. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's such an honor. I'm excited to chat today as well. We've been trying to plan this for a while. So finally, we're here. And I'm so glad that you're here because after being introduced to your work through a mutual friend and then just kind of thinking more about the fact that, you know, the VHive is a podcast focused on women's intimate health and primarily our conversations have to do with sexual health in terms of sexuality and your bladder, your vagina, sexual function, hormones, intimacy, all of these things, and not so much on breast health, which is a huge part of intimacy and sexuality and 
it's just it's something that needs to be talked about and it's a fundamental aspect of women's intimate health so this is very a very important conversation and i look forward to having you share more with us about your story and all the work that you do now Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's one of those things that tends to be ignored a bit um, when you're talking about mastectomy or breast cancer, um, this idea of how your breasts relate to you as a woman, how they define your femininity, how they tie into you know your sexual health and intimacy, etc. Um, and, and it's an important aspect, and I don't think one that should be ignored because, um, you know, they are a secondary sexual organ for us and you know for a lot of people that's how uh, they're able to derive you know pleasure and happiness and so I'm, I'm very excited to be on today to chat a little bit more about my story so tell us more about what your life was like before and after you got a mastectomy sure so I was always really aware of the idea of breast cancer, even from, uh, you know, when I was a little girl, um, I always knew my mom was a breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time in her late twenties, um, with a stage three, really aggressive breast cancer. And, you know, back 40 years ago when she had that cancer, um, mastectomies aren't what they are now. She had, um, a radical surgery, you know, her breast was removed all the way down to the chest wall. She was never able to reconstruct that breast. And so I lived my entire life with a a mom with one breast. And for me, that was totally normal and just, you know, kind of shocking to know that moms have more than one breast. And she was always really, really candid with me about, you know, I had cancer. This is something that affected my life. You know, you need to be proactive in your health. Um, but unfortunately, um, about 20 years after her first diagnosis, um, she was diagnosed again with another stage three breast cancer. Um, and I was 12 at the time. Um, and it really was uh, one of the most defining moments of my life, knowing that, you know, uh, life is sort of fleeting. And it's the first time, you know, as a, a young person, you're realizing that, um, you know, your life is not always promised and you're kind of thrust into this long term perspective, uh, which I think a lot of 12, 13, 14 year olds, uh, it's a hard concept to grasp. Um, But unfortunately, my mom passed away uh, just after my 16th birthday. And um, I made a promise to her that, you know, her life wouldn't be in vain, and that I would do everything I could to, to be healthy myself and to make sure that, you know, her legacy lived on. Um, And as I got a little bit older, my my dad brought up the idea of having a, a preventive double mastectomy and I thought you're a crazy person I was a late bloomer to start with I just got my boobs you know the last thing I'm gonna do is remove them what what are you talking about you know I'm, I'm young I'm invincible and my dad looked at me straight in the eye and he said you're gonna end up dead 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 just like your mom and that was a really defining moment in my life because I realized, you know, kind of the wisdom in what he was trying to say. My dad wanted me to be alive and coming um, from a family with such a strong genetic predisposition to cancer, um, I couldn't wait and I needed to be more proactive. So um, as you'd mentioned before, I, I underwent my mastectomy in my 20s and it was a really, um, really emotional time you know I kind of went into it with the mindset of you know I'm just going to get in get out have the surgery done and you know have this just be in my past and never look back but I really 
didn't take into account how how important my breasts were to me. And I know that sounds kind of funny coming from somebody who works in the beauty industry, you know, as a pageant contestant, all of that. But um, I was a real tomboy growing up and, and my body and the way that I looked was so, you know, in the back of my mind when it came to, you know, how I identified myself. But then when you don't have breasts anymore or you have breasts that are not really your own, there are these reconstructed things that are um, really just kind of a prosthesis. It's a whole... A whole new chapter in sort of self-identity if that makes sense mm-hmm. and so do you think that your dad saying that to you was the catalyst for you to get the mastectomy absolutely um i think seeing how terrified my father was for my own life really gave me the perspective that i needed um, it took a few years before i sort of built up the courage to know okay this is the right time for me but my mom was diagnosed, um, like I said, in her late 20s. And as I, I got into my 20s and the years started ticking by, I just had this fear kind of of my own mortality facing me. And I thought, you know, my mom almost died in her mm-hmm. 20s and I need to do this now. And it was such a, you know, freeing feeling being able to do it and to know that I've I've already outlived my mom's initial diagnosis mm-hmm. and that this isn't something that I'm going to have to look over my shoulder in fear for the rest of my life. So you got the mastectomy. What did your following few years look like? So it was a, a really crazy time in my life when I had the surgery. Um, I had just met uh, my now husband, who was then my boyfriend, about a year prior. We were doing this international relationship. My husband lived in Germany. I lived in America. We are going back and forth. Um, and he came over for an entire month, nursed me back to health from my surgery. And I, you know, had the surgery. I'm going through recovery. You know, I've got this person who's, you know, it's still kind of a new relationship, and you're having this person see these very intimate parts of your life and these healing and, you know, all the, the good, the bad, the ugly of this procedure. Um, you know, it was really, really tough for me to be able to look into the mirror and like what I see and to feel confident in the person that I was. And then coupled with that, I had my reconstructive surgery about three months later And then one month after I had my reconstructive surgery, I packed my suitcases. I moved to Germany, got to Germany, started really a whole new life here, um, trying to figure out a different language, a different culture, um, life without my friends and my family, um, moving in with this guy who's just my boyfriend, wasn't even a fiance or (laughs) we weren't married at that time. And, you know, just really trying to play sort of catch up. Um, And... As time went on, I I really rediscovered kind of a new a new part of who I was in this new chapter of my life post post mastectomy, and I realized that I had I'd really saved my own life in a sense, mm-hmm. and that the world was my oyster, and I could sit around and feel sorry for myself, or I could sort of grab life by the balls and move forward and make something positive out of this, and so um, I was working for this company. It was a really miserable job. I ended up losing my job. I was super depressed, came home one day. I popped on Instagram and I saw this online contest from Sports Illustrated. And they said, you know, anybody in the world could upload a 60 second video, 
put it on uh, Instagram and have a chance to be featured uh, in Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. And a girl that I knew through the pageant world had won the competition the year before and I had chickened out, you know, oh, I'm not in shape. Oh, I've had my surgery. Nobody wants to look at a body like this. You know, all the self-doubt issues Mm -hmm. you have in the back of your mind. Um, And I just said, screw it. And I sat in my closet and filmed this little video and uploaded it to the internet. And it was really a life-changing moment for me. I ended up, you know, uh, making the final cut. I got to model for Sports Illustrated and it really just kind of gave me my groove back and let me know that my mastectomy wasn't something that was hindering my existence and, you know, my femininity and how, how I was viewing myself. It was actually the thing that was making me different and setting me apart and giving me all these new opportunities. And from there, you know, I started my nonprofit, um, was able to just do so many things and, you know, really connect with women all over the world who are going through the same procedure and, and encourage them to know that this didn't have to be the defining moment of their life. I'm so speechless. I swear I have tears in my eyes because it's so powerful to hear you tell your story. And I think that there's so many parallels in all aspects of women's sexual health where, I mean, this is like a major, a major story but there are so many different stories that people have and have experienced and can probably relate to how you felt in some way or another and you know when you have a surgery or a health condition and and you feel like you stand so far out it's so important to kind of realize that it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just what makes you different and then the fact that you were able to be on sports illustrated is also just insane well and it's you know we're all kind of um you know prisoners of our own minds right and Mm -hmm. i just remember always thinking that people knew i had a mastectomy as crazy as that is you look at me you would never be able to tell in a million years i've had reconstruction my clothes are on but i just had this weird phobia that people were staring at me that people knew that there was something different Mm -hmm. that you know i i would never be regarded as like a beautiful woman and you know it all sounds so superficial but you know when we're in our 20s it's a it's a huge part of our identity you know how how we face the world from a physical standpoint and you know, I realized that I just had to get out of my own way. And I was the one that was holding myself back from yeah. doing all the things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And the moment I stopped doing that, I realized, man, the sky is the limit and I can do whatever I want, you know, boobs or not. I think a lot of times we are the one that gets in our own way. And that's really, that it's so important to remember that because you know, that's something that I have to tell myself all the time is like, you're the only one that's actually creating this problem in your head or that's making this situation more difficult than it needs to be. Like, you have all of the control. Right, right. And I mean, it's hard. It's hard to it's get so past hard. that. And I mean, as, as women, we're kind of told all the time, you're, you're not allowed to find yourself uh, to be beautiful, but you also need to have self-confidence. And it's this constant fight mm-hmm. of... Um, being confident but not too confident and balancing everything in our lives and it's just such a counterproductive thing and um i you know i'm pregnant now and i think about 
you know, bringing a child into the world and trying to, to raise them in a way that they get out of their own way from a much earlier stage than I did. I mean, I spent so many years of my life that just feel wasted because I thought, oh, I can't do that. Mm. And it was just me stopping me from right. doing it. Right, which is so interesting. You're pregnant. Congratulations. I've been following your whole journey on Instagram Thank you so recently. Much. It's been wild. I mean, that's all, a whole other element. I went through the IVF process because my husband and, uh, and I have a, a genetic condition we were trying to eliminate through, you know, pre-implantation genetic testing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just learning more about uh, women's reproductive health um, when it comes to, to IVF and fertility. I mean, it's it's not um, an older woman's thing. And I, I thought that when I was going into the doctor's appointments that I'd see these, you know, 40 year old women who had, you know, quote unquote, maybe waited too long to try to start having children. But it's 20 year old women who are trying to get pregnant and they can't. And it's just really kind of crazy the the world we're living in now but trying to take away a little bit of that stigma behind infertility or Mm -hmm. using help so to speak to get pregnant um has been a really rewarding thing for me and getting to meet women in that community as well that's amazing and i want to talk for a few minutes about going back to how you really turned this great challenge in your life into something extremely profound and you started your organization called the provider which is a women's health platform providing information about genetic testing mastectomy and breast reconstruction to people all over the world how did you start this organization so um when you hear about those little startups that you know were created in people's garages Mm -hmm. that's really kind of how it was for me i was you know, sitting at home, I'm in Germany. I I don't know the language. Um, I just finished my master's degree and I can't get a job. I'm applying everywhere. And, you know, it didn't even matter. They're like, okay, you don't speak the language. You can't get a job here. And I just was feeling really kind of defeated. And I said, you know what? We have this amazing opportunity to have access to internet and to be able to work from anywhere in the world, you know, what, what can I do here and how can I help? Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking about all these different breast cancer charities or organizations like that. And it felt like such an oversaturated market. Like every idea was already out there. How could I possibly, um, add to the conversation without just creating more noise? Mm -hmm. And so I just started going back through the messages that women had sent to me and they were always people asking me about my reconstruction. You know, what what kind of surgery did you have? Um, who was your physician? Uh, I mean, even stuff like how big are your breasts? What CCs were your implants? You know, all these sort of things. And then I started seeing this kind of common theme of there was no information for women in a comprehensive sense of what their reconstructive options were. And most people go into it and they say, okay, you know, you have a mastectomy, you get a breast implant, you move on with your life. But for so many women, there are other options. You know, people don't want to have a breast implant. They'd like to have their own tissue. So you can even take, you know, parts of tissue from your stomach, your thighs, your butt, your back, and recreate a breast that way. And, you know, not all implants are created equal, you know, and all these different things. And I realized that, you know, the most horrifying thing in the world is if you put the word mastectomy into Google 
I mean, nobody wants to see what is on the other side of that. It is constantly showing you pictures of complications and horrible surgical blunders. And I just wanted to create kind of a safe space for women to be able to go and learn about their options without being bombarded by all of the horrible things that could potentially go wrong. And so I pieced together, I, I had no experience in web development, graphic design, anything like this. And I said, you know what, I got all the time in the world, I'm going to, to learn to build it. So I just slowly started building this website while continuing to listen to the community and say, you know, what do people need information about? And I just wanted to have this sort of easy step-by-step -step tutorial. So let's say um, you, Hannah, you find out you have a breast cancer gene mutation. Um, and, or it runs in your family and mm -hmm. you're like, I, do I have this? I wanted a space where someone could go and say, all right, I want to get tested for the gene. How do I do that? Mm. And then it says, okay, you know, you go to this doctor, you get, um, this blood test, then you find out you have the gene, then you have it and you have to make the decision whether or not to have a surgery. And I wanted to put women back in the driver's seat when it came to their healthcare decisions so that they could come armed with the information to their physician and say, hey, um, you're offering me this one type of procedure, but I actually think this one's better for my body. Right. And if you aren't willing to give it to me, I'm going to find another doctor. Right. And so just creating kind of um, you know, an advocacy platform for women to be armed with that information, that's really where it all started. And it just started on my couch in my apartment. And, you know, before I knew it, we had launched the website. Um, I was on Good Morning America, you know, talking about it, doing this huge media tour. And um, it's just really opened up this information to women across the world. And it's been so incredibly rewarding. Being so outspoken about your journey, really with the goal of inspiring others to prioritize their breast health, what has been the most rewarding and insightful part of all of this? Uh, it's got to be the messages from other women who have either benefited from um, the previver in having the information or... Um, just really realizing that they're not alone in this process. Um, when I had my mastectomy, it was in 2015, and that's you know only five years ago. But even back then, I mean, Instagram wasn't really a big thing. There wasn't uh, there weren't people online talking about it. This was prior to Angelina Jolie coming uh, public with her decision to have the surgery, and it just was really um, a lonely time going through a procedure like this as a young woman. You know, there were a lot of groups for, for women who were 40, 50 years old, things like that. But no, there's nobody who looked like me, nobody who was my age. Mm -hmm. um, and so to be able to speak publicly about it, and I also think to be an aspirational figure in the sort of community to say, hey, you know, this doesn't have to be the most interesting thing in your life. You can go on to accomplish great things. You know, the doors aren't closed because you've had a mastectomy. I mean, those moments are 100% the most rewarding. And I remember one particularly, um, actually two, there's one woman who had reached out to me when I first started sharing my story back in 2012, 2013. And she said, um, you know, I just found out that I have the breast cancer gene mutation. And I really struggled with the decision of whether or not to, to undergo a mastectomy. 
and she said, um, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at you as a 24 year old who's thinking about their, their future children, their future husband, you know, being alive for your family. She's like, I'm, I'm much older than you. I'm married. You know, I'm a teacher. I feel like I have a million kids and if you can do it, I can do it. And she called her doctor. She scheduled a surgery and she told me, you know, you might've just saved my life. And hearing, I mean, she saved her life. I didn't save her life, but to hear something like that, that it gave women the power within themselves to kind of make those healthcare, those important healthcare choices is just wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I had another person reach out and say that because of these self exam grams that I do, these little reminders to do a a breast exam every month, this woman found um, her breast cancer at a really early stage. And she said, you know, if I hadn't, if you didn't annoy me with these messages every month, I never would have gone to the doctor and gotten a mammogram. And so, I mean, stuff like that just gives you chills Mm -hmm. and it, it's, it makes you realize that like, it's so much more than you. It's Mm. this really greater conversation about women's health. It's so powerful what you're doing and thank you so much for doing it because it's so important. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, there are so many people who've come before and after me that have inspired me on this process and I'm constantly learning new things and I feel like watching the younger generation on on Instagram and TikTok and what they're doing to um, really kind of spread awareness for this. So I feel like I'm inspired by other people every day. Have there been any challenges that you have faced in terms of, you know, your own journey, but also in relationship to the provider and doing all of this community nonprofit work? Oh, for sure. I mean, anytime you're sharing your your story publicly, um, you're you're opening yourself up for criticism. And I feel, I guess, a little grateful that um, I had done pageants before this because, man, there are no trolls like <laughs> beauty pageant trolls on the internet. But you know, I've also had these um, just these awful people who have said things like you're you're using your mother's death to monopolize on you know success or notoriety or you know what have you that sort of stuff so that's awful having having naysayers like that or people who say you're just doing this to get attention you know it it definitely hurts but I just have to take a step back and realize that for every one negative message there's 10 positive messages from people who are benefiting from me sharing my story. And I'm so adamant about other people sharing theirs as well, because, you know, representation matters and it's not all all kind of a one size fits all. So my story may not resonate with every different person. So I keep telling people, you know, no matter how small you think your following is, you know, if you are impacting the life of one person, then it's worth it. And, you know, obviously not everyone's going to be, uh, you know, (laughs) posing in a swimsuit on the internet or, you know, talking in graphic detail about their their healthcare choices. Um, You know, maybe even it's just having a conversation with a friend um, about knowing their family health history and you could potentially save someone's life. So it's all a matter of little divine intervention. I feel like we're all sort of connected there. Yeah. And my favorite quote that I've, I don't know why I've seen it, just come up so many times recently but and I'm gonna 
botch it a little bit, but the premise of the quote is essentially that the only people that make fun of you and put you down are the ones that are jealous of you. And so it's like, you can't take that seriously. I mean, that's hard and it hurts and it, the, the words are real and you feel them. But at the same time, it's like that person's just jealous of the amazing work that you're doing. And yeah, the, the people, it's never the people who are doing more than you exactly who are, who are being critical of the things that you're doing. So you're exactly right. It's, you know, it's re- having the perspective there to realize that these people are hurting somewhere in their life. And that's why they feel the need to be so negative. A and you just percent. have to keep your, your mind focused on, you know, your goal mm-hmm. and realize that you're, you're not always going to make everybody happy. Very true. I also saw recently that you partnered with the Heirs Foundation, a nonprofit that provides women with access and resources to get breast reconstruction surgery after a mastectomy. So tell us more about this. Oh, the Heirs Foundation, they are just uh, an incredible group that are doing such wonderful things in the community. Um, they had reached out to me, I want to say probably a year or two ago, and we're talking to me about how women didn't have access to breast reconstruction. And I thought, well, this is crazy because there's, there's actually a federal mandate that if you've had a mastectomy, you have to have access to reconstruction. But what I didn't realize is that there's so many women out there who either don't have insurance or even if they have insurance, they can't afford their co-pays or their doctors don't even tell them that they're entitled to breast reconstruction. And so you have all these women who have faced a cancer diagnosis and are spending the rest of their lives with no breasts simply because their doctors didn't tell them you're entitled to a reconstructive surgery. And it just was mind blowing to me, um, you know, talking to these women who had been helped by the organization, one of them, Heather, um, uh, it makes me tear up every time I talk about it, but she had a breast cancer diagnosis, um, went through a mastectomy, beat cancer, and her insurance company offered her one choice of a surgeon to do her breast reconstruction. And that surgeon was a cleft palate specialist. So no an way. oral surgeon was supposed to do her breast reconstruction to make her feel you know, whole again and like a woman again. And this was her only option. That's so messed up. I'm sorry. That's It's, it's so messed up. And so she just said, okay, then I'm, I'm not going to reconstruct my breast. And she was having to make the choice to live the rest of her life, you know, not looking the way that she would like to look simply because her insurance was just offering her one option. And so the Ares Foundation stepped in, they got her access to the top surgeons, paid for her reconstruction. um, And they're just, they're doing, you know, really God's work when it comes to these things. They're just stepping in to kind of fill the holes where, where our insurance companies should be doing it. So, um, if there are any listeners out there and you're looking for a place to donate, they are incredible, incredible people, and they give absolutely every cent to helping women. How did they find this woman? Like, how do they find the people that need their help? So a lot of times it'll be um, maybe a physician has them as a cancer patient, but that doctor is not doing the reconstruction, and the doctor will refer them, or they find the Ares Foundation just really from doing a Google search. Mm-hmm. So they're they're going online, they're looking for grants, for funding, um, and they can just fill out an application on their website. Um, and you know, a lot of it's just word of mouth, people saying, "Hey, this person is in a really really tight position. They've got insurance, but." They've got this really 
high deductible or really high copay and and they're not going to be able to afford it and airs um comes in and really saves the day there i also read that seven out of ten women don't even know their reconstruction options and they don't even know that sometimes insurance will cover their reconstruction yeah and that, that's exactly it i mean that's why i started the previver so that women were aware of their reconstructive options so that they were able to go to the website and realize it's not just one choice it's 17 different choices that you have and you're able to make a decision about what's best for your body your current situation where you are in your lifestyle um and again you know it's like i was saying the fact that these doctors aren't even telling their patients yes in fact you are entitled to a reconstruction is just Ugh, it's mind-blowing, mm-hmm. and it's really doing a disservice to these women who have fought a battle for their life already. It's crazy. It just goes to show, and, like, I hate, you know, kind of talking badly about the medical system, but I think a better way to word it is it just goes to show how many faults there are in the system, and that's just inevitable. Like, it's an inevitable part of a healthcare system in an incredibly large country is it's going to be far from perfect. So I think that... Sure. And there, there are just people who fall through the cracks. And right. you know, I'm the first one to champion my surgical team. I had the best doctors in the world, so supportive, advocated for me, went to bat for me. But there are also just bad doctors out there. There are. Who are totally. only looking out for themselves. They are not patient-focused. And it's really, it's really sad that we mm-hmm. need organizations like Ayers to come in and do the job of a physician. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also want to talk about men and how they often forget the importance of getting screened for breast cancer. And the reason this stood out to me personally is because my dad's uncle had breast cancer and it seems like such a rare thing because you never hear of men who get breast cancer but it happens and I just want to know your knowledge on this yeah so this is actually kind of a crazy statistic how many men are diagnosed with breast cancer every year and we're just not aware of it because Either they don't talk about it, it's this very hush-hush sort of thing. Um, you know, it's also, a, you know, less invasive, I think, for a man. Like, say, he has to go through a mastectomy. It's, you know, it's not as physically visible. So it's not something that you're really forced to talk about. But it's so important that men do monthly breast exams as well. And I know any male listeners out there might be rolling their eyes, but... It happens, and there are men who are able to carry the breast cancer gene mutation, and so many you know, women that I talk to who have it actually inherited that gene from their father, and having a gene mutation like that increases your risk of other cancers as well. So, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to just stand in the shower and get to know what the terrain of your chest feels like, and... You know, the more you know you're normal, you're able to realize if something is amiss, there's a lump there, what have you. And so I, I really encourage men to get out there and um, realize that this is not just a women's issue. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to just bring this up is because breast cancer isn't the first thing that men 
I guess, know about when they're learning about their health or becoming educated in, in their health or, you know, taking supplements or wanting to do this or build more muscle, like, or yeah. getting screened for colon cancer. Breast cancer is the last thing. So what I personally think is that it's so important for your spouse or, you know, your wife, your girlfriend to educate their partner on getting screened because I think that if you have someone else in your life who's a female if you're a male educating you and informing you on this you may be more inclined to do it because it might not necessarily be something that you're just going to go out and and learn on your own right well and I mean hey this is a sexual health podcast this can be a part of your foreplay with each other you know you're you you do me I do you (laughs) and so I'm I'm a big big fan of that because I actually um the first lump that I had discovered was with a boyfriend and that was the first time I went in to get a check and um had a biopsy on that lump and I probably wouldn't have found it myself and this is somebody who is a breast cancer advocate who's mm. aware of these things who you know should in theory be doing my exam every month but you know things slip your mind you you just think oh that's you know a totally normal feeling but i think it's a great kind of tag team effort that mm-hmm. you can do mm-hmm. together with your partner totally and if you had to give one piece of advice for everyone listening one takeaway what would it be Oof, this is always a hard one. Um, You've given so much, but if you had to give one. (laughs) Let's see. I think the best piece of advice that I've ever been given, and I think really kind of relates to all of us now as we, you know, sit in quarantine, the world is in the state of, you know, madness with the coronavirus and everything. Um, My dad told me once that no ounce of worry adds a second to your life. And you can't spend your life, you know, worrying about things that could happen or will happen, etc. You just have to go out and live. You have to be bold. Um, you can obviously take precautions. Obviously, I'm a preventive healthcare advocate, but um, you can't sit there and have a mastectomy and have a one percent risk of breast cancer and spend your life worrying about that one percent. You just have to do the best that you can and and move forward with your life. So. I think that's my my best advice. I'm obsessed with that quote. It's so true. It applies to everything. And I think it's so easy to worry. Like you can worry every yeah. second of the day if you want to. So to be mindful of not worrying is life changing. Yeah. And of course, easier said than done. Totally. But I do think if you make it a practice in your life to to have that kind of perspective when you find yourself caught in those moments of despair or worry or anxiety, which we all have, um, just say, you know, this isn't doing anything to help me. And it's not making the situation better and it's not going to make the situation go away. So all you can do is put one foot in front of the other and live your life. And by the way, most of the stuff that we worry about, we have zero control over. Correct. So it's not like worrying is going to make something better or worse or change an outcome. It's just making you more upset in the moment. Right, Um, right. And then also one other thing that I just want to add in that I forgot to say before is that, you know, part of the reason it just reminded me as you brought up COVID and quarantine, but 
so much of healthcare is preventative and I think that's another reason I mean I know that's another reason why the work that you're doing is so impactful is because it's about preventative healthcare and there you know if you can take all of the necessary precautions in the least worrisome way to prevent breast cancer or to prevent um certain certain things or illnesses or conditions from happening to you you know why not i think as a country as as you know the whole world we need to be more focused on preventative health care because then we'll have less sickness and less disease absolutely and i mean i tell people this all the time it sounds great like really crazy but i'm super grateful that breast cancer is a disease that i'm predisposed to because I can do something about it. And I did do something about it. There are so many other ailments out there that are just completely outside of your control. But there are also so many that you are really in the driver's seat when it comes to whether your life is impacted by this disease, how severe these diseases or ailments are. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a situation where you can take your own health into your own hands and and do something about it. And I think if more of us were were a little more proactive, um, we would have a lot more healthy people in the world. I cannot agree more. Do you have any other resources to recommend to everyone listening? Sure. I mean, obviously, if anyone is interested in learning more about breast reconstruction, they can visit my nonprofit, which is thebreviver.org. Um, the Ayers Foundation is wonderful. They're AyersFoundation.org, and they are a wonderful resource for people who need funding for breast reconstruction. Um, and then I would also just say, um, if you are interested, you could feel free to, to contact me on Instagram. I'm at Alan Rose or at the Previver. Um, and I think that these things like Instagram are such wonderful platforms because they connect a whole community of people together and when I might not have your answer somebody else might and so it's really creating this sort of ecosystem of people answering each other's questions and that's what I really love to do with the previver is um, you know I'll ask these questions and you have 50 different women answer with different responses and you can find somebody that more more closely aligns with with your story and your journey and that's a, a really powerful thing mm-hmm. and can i ask where did the name the previver come from so previver is actually a coin a term that was coined um oh gosh i want to say probably back in 2006 ish time um and it was a word to describe somebody like me who has survived what they call a predisposition to breast cancer. So you're not a survivor, you're a previvor. So that's where that word comes from. On and off this entire conversation, I've been like, I need to ask where this word comes from. That's so interesting. Wow. it's, It's just as simple as that. You're, you're before the survivor status. And so um, you know, they have all these different kind of terms. You have previvor, you have survivor, and then you, you have these people who are battling um, an incurable, you know, stage four cancer, and they call mm-hmm. those thrivers because they're, they're living their life with a cancer diagnosis. And mm-hmm. so it's a really kind of unique community that's all come together. And then in regards to resources, are there any like books or podcasts or movies, documentaries, just any good informative 
resources in addition to your organizations that you know people can kind of turn to as Um, a source there's a wonderful group called the breasties um and i mean what a clever name i wish i had thought of it (laughs) and they are a community group for women who um are impacted by breast or ovarian cancer so you know whether you have it yourself um you have a genetic predisposition to it you have a family member battling it um it's a really great resource uh that they put on these free retreats for women to go um really commune with each other to connect with um similar like-minded people I think they're a great resource. And then also there is um, a wonderful lingerie designer named Anna Ono. And, um, or sorry, her name is Dana Donafrey. Her line is Anna Ono. And um, she has done a really fantastic job at creating this line of lingerie for women who have undergone um, breast surgery. But she also has created this great community of women, which combines, like I was saying, pre-vibers, survivors, and bribers, and putting them all together. So we don't all feel like we're in our own little niche. You know, we're all part of the same thing with the same goal, and that's preventing breast cancer. How cool. Thank you for sharing that. And last but not least, where can people contact you? Well, I am available all over the internet (laughs) at Alan Rose. My name is spelled a little funky. It's A-L-L-Y-N and then Rose like the flower. And I am completely in charge of all of my social media handles. So I'm the person at four in the morning writing you back. I respond to all my stuff. So if anybody has any questions, um, concerns, uh, you know, the things that people send to me, the intimate you know details and photos i've seen it all so don't hesitate thank you so incredibly much for being here i really can't wait for everyone to hear our conversation because i have never had one like this so thank you again oh my gosh it was such a pleasure to be on and i can't wait to to hear this and then also to continue listening for your other guests as well Thank you. And I just also want to say how cool it is that because you're in Germany right now, I'm in New York. And I've mentioned this before, but prior to COVID, I was only recording podcasts in person, which I really loved doing because you're, you know, you're in the same room as the person and the sound quality is a little bit better. But, you know, the silver lining, I think, is that this whole crisis uh, I mean a little tiny silver lining in my life I should say is that has allowed me to have conversations with people all over the world like you and a few weeks ago someone in London and all over the country so it's been amazing I I totally totally agree with you and I I actually have a two girlfriends that I was talking to yesterday and I want to start doing you know more social stuff more YouTube stuff and I'm always so paranoid about wanting to have you know high quality video footage and the best audio and this and that too yeah my my girlfriend just said the thing that i love about youtube videos is like when i see the camera focusing at the beginning of a video when someone's kid barges in the room you know when they (laughs) spill something on themselves like people want to hear these everyday nuances Mm -hmm. everybody knows what it's like to be on a conference call and have that loud texting come in or your dog snorting outside of the room you know like these are parts of our real lives and i think it it creates um you know connection with people because they think Oh, you know, that person's not so larger than life. Right. <laughs> we're just a, we're just another human yeah. trying to trying to make the best of everything. Really? So it's so true. And I think, 
yeah, you're you're totally right. That just embracing, you know, the text that come through and the sound quality that's not so perfect. But with that, I got to talk to you in Germany. So I will let you go now and we'll talk soon. All right, sounds great. Bye. This podcast is for education purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.